leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me I've got a very special guest this week. He's a fellow Sports Business Classroom alum. He's also a scout in the NBL, the National Basketball League, and uh, scouts for, uh, for some G League teams. His name is Ryan Edwards. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Gary. It's, uh, I've been really looking forward to it. This is your first time on the pod. I'm really excited to have you. Uh, just to mention a few things about yourself, you, uh, you've been living in Australia, and as I mentioned, doing, doing some scouting, and uh, you actually were able to catch a couple of the, uh, the, the recent USA versus Australia exhibition games heading into the, the 2019 FIBA World Cup. So uh, we're going to talk about uh, those couple of games that you got to witness live as well as the World Cup in general a little bit later on. But, uh, Ryan, you're also, you happen to be a, a big Atlanta Hawks fan, so I thought we'd start with that and, and, and talk a little bit of uh, the Atlanta Hawks offseason. And you can't really talk Hawks offseason without talking about the draft. It was a really big night for the organization. They, uh, they ended up trading picks 10, 17, and I believe 35 to move up into the top five and draft DeAndre Hunter, a wing out of Virginia. What are your thoughts about uh, that young prospect? So I don't mind him as a prospect, really. I wasn't thrilled about them moving up to get him. I thought it was a pretty big cost in a draft that I didn't think was very deep, especially after the top two. I'm not too sold that any of them are going to be true standouts. But as far as Hunter's concerned... I think he's, he is, like the media says, a pretty perfect fit. He can defend well, which is uh, desperately needed with the front court of John Collins and Alex Lynn starting, it looks like, for now. And obviously, Trey Young isn't defending much. Um, he doesn't really do anything to create his own shot too often. But, again, that's not really a skill we need with Trey. 
So I like the fit. I think the expectations are going to be a bit high for him. Um, he's one of those lower ceiling, higher floor guys. But if he doesn't come out and just do a great job defending his position right away as a rookie, I think a lot of fans are going to be unfairly a bit outraged. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the high floor with him because, yeah, a, a lot of people will maybe give a team flack for moving up in the draft and then not actually getting a superstar with that pick. But uh, I agree with you. that I think Hunter is one of the safest bets in the draft. I think he's almost guaranteed going to be a starting caliber player. He's got the size. He's got the athleticism. He's got the jump shot. Uh, he just fits perfectly into that 3 and D archetype that, that every team in the league needs. And, and as you mentioned, especially a team like Atlanta that already maybe has a few weak pieces on the defensive roster. Yeah, it'll be a great fit. I'm interested to see how much play time he'll get his first year because uh, we just loaded up on a bunch of forwards this year. I mean, obviously, we picked up Cam Reddish as well. And we picked up, hopefully, these guys won't be getting too much playing time, but you never know. Uh, if we got Chandler Parsons and well, Jabari Parker, I think, will play a lot. And obviously, Vince Carter's last year, he's going to be one to get in some minutes, so. It'll be interesting to see how well Hunter does in the minutes he's allocated. Yeah, and Reddish, you mentioned the, the second guy they took with the with the tenth overall pick, uh, is a, is another wing, and and he to me is kind of the opposite of DeAndre Hunter, where Hunter is a real safe bet, maybe lower ceiling. Uh, Reddish has that real high upside, but maybe uh, has a, has an opportunity to be a bit of a bust if he doesn't uh, you know have the work ethic and the and the effort out there on the floor that a lot of people would hope for. Uh, but, but you know, he also concludes that trade they made last year in which they acquired Luka Doncic, or excuse me, they, they uh, traded away the rights to Luka Doncic to the Mavericks and got Trey Young. Uh, so essentially the, the, the finalized trade is Trey Young and Cam Reddish for Doncic. How do you feel about that move uh, a year out? Um. I'm less upset about it than I was last year, that's that's for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm still not completely sold on that trade because, well, obviously Trey's a, a great player, but Doncic, Doncic is looking spectacular. But I will say it was very interesting. Did you see the, the rookie report that came out earlier this week on the, who will have the most successful career in the NBA out of this draft class? Oh, out of the uh, yeah, the the most recent one where they, I think Zion Williamson was right at the bottom in terms of uh, likely to succeed. Yeah, yeah, it was a wild. Cam Reddish was voted the most likely to have a successful career, which I thought uh, was very surprising to say the least. Uh, he was definitely a guy that I didn't get to watch too many college games over here, but in the few games that I did. He definitely didn't uh, jump off the screen at me. He, was, he seemed to stumble a lot in traffic. His jumper looked nice, but it didn't seem to go in like it should. And uh, He just seemed to be struggling if, uh, overall when I saw him, but his peers obviously see something in him. Yeah, I always am uh, a little little hesitant to uh, you know, putting any value uh, into into those player polls because there's so many variables. You know, you talk about just rivalries and things. I'm sure a lot of those people were just upset at all of the the hype Zion has received, and therefore he was at the bottom. Even though he's he's clearly got, uh, uh, you know, is is going to be one of the best players out of that class. I don't think they've gotten much right in those polls. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
but but yeah, Reddish is is yeah a really intriguing candidate. You know, when you look at just his highlight reel, he can look sensational, right? You know, he he's got those step backs, that smooth jumper, reminiscent of a Paul George at times. But yeah, as you said, if you if you watch some full games, there are there are good chunks of games where he just kind of disappears and, and doesn't make much of an impact, which is which is certainly concerning. Um, but but that's kind of why I like the combination of uh, of the of the Hawks draft because again they, they go for the high upside play with Reddish, but then also I think get the very safe bet in Hunter. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that in theory is a is a smart play if you if you're just going to have those two picks. Um, it definitely will take a lot of pressure off of Reddish to perform right away, which I think is what he needs. If he would have gone like. Somewhere like the Knicks, I think that would have been a disaster. Uh, although, I'm still not thrilled, like I said earlier, about them the whole trading up. I'm not convinced Hunter wouldn't have been there at 8, and we still could have gotten Reddish at 10, and then potentially taking a flyer at someone like Alexander Walker at 17, or Gogo Butazzi, or something like that. And then you'd have three shots at it, but as far as the two picks, uh, I, was, I was satisfied with Hunter and Reddish. Well, yeah, there is always the 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 risk of if you're if you're throwing three picks for one that the other team's just going to get more value, you know. And and from watching the Pelicans in the summer league, you know, the they ended up taking Jackson Hayes with the tenth pick, getting uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker at seventeen, and then a Brazilian guard that can really shoot, uh, De Silva, in the in the early portion of the second round. So it certainly seemed like. Uh, you know that the that the Pelicans got great value out of the picks the Hawks gave them, but you know again if if Hunter ends up being one of those rare guys that uh, is you know an elite defender, a really good three point shooter, and and can create a little bit offensively, that, that you know I think maybe both teams will end up being happy. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it can definitely work out well for both teams. Um, I do have a concern. It seems like Hunter will be like a good starter at best. And those kind of players, while they can be hard to get, they uh, they don't usually cost too much in the free agent market. And especially with Hunter, he's not going to be getting into his prime for a few years, so we're only going to have him under contract for his prime for probably like three or four years, and then he'll hit the unrestricted free agency market. So there's usually players at the price he's going to be asking that will be able to replace with them pretty easily. So that's why I'm not too big of a fan of just picking up a starter level guy in the draft because there's usually other ways to go about getting those guys especially when you're in a market that hasn't seen a superstar player since probably Dominique unless you want to count Joe Johnson which I I don't think most people would yeah I mean I I agree with your point to an extent I I would say though that uh, you know when when you factor in the position that Hunter plays that 3-4 position I think as far as just good starters in the NBA, I think those guys at, at that spot specifically get paid handsomely. You know, you look at a guy like Otto Porter, I would describe him as, as a good starter at that spot, and, and he basically got the max. Yeah, it's true. that You could end up overpaying a guy like that. I think the Otto Porter is uh, quite the overpaying. It's a very <laughs> similar situation for the, the Wizards. They picked him very high, number three. Felt like they had to pay him the big bucks, even though he's probably just a quality starter. And I'm worried that the Hawks will down the road get screwed with that by picking a guy that's just a high starter that has those expectations with the the low draft pick number next to him. 
Yeah, so how do you feel about this uh, this young Hawks core in general? Of course, you know, we already mentioned getting Trey Young with the fifth pick in the draft last year. Uh, they took John Collins, uh, I believe, 19th a couple of seasons ago. And uh, these two young wings as well as uh, they also got Kevin Herter, the shooting guard that can uh, that can really shoot it, uh, I believe, uh, in, the, in the middle of the first round last year. So how do you feel about that young core, and, and what do you feel like maybe is still missing for this team to truly maybe in a few years be a title contender? Yeah, um, I'm loving it. This is the most I've looked forward to a Hawks season in uh, a very long time. Yeah, they're going to be fun. Yeah, um, they all fit really well, which is an impressive job by the GM, regardless of what we've traded to get there. Um, he's done a great job setting up the cat space for the future, but I really like John Collins. I'm a bit higher on him than most. Uh, his defense was pretty bad last year, but he's, he's improved greatly. every. You know, it's only been two years, but he had a three ball last year, which is surprising. and That shows a good work ethic to me, so I'm not completely lost on his defense. Uh, Herter, I do really like Herter, but uh, the media seems to, I don't know, just, just in the last month or so, seems to be in love with him as a guaranteed starter about right away. I'm still not sure he's at that level yet, but he will be. Uh, but as far as what we need in the future, we uh, definitely need a center. Uh, I was very disappointed to lose Deadman. I think he would have been a huge help for this team this year. Would have gotten us closer to an eight seed. Um, I don't think we'll uh, go very far with Alex Lynn as a starting center, backed up by Damian Jones, I guess, who uh, <laughs> has never never looked impressive. And uh, our backup point guard this year is supposedly Evan Turner. Uh, it's a guy that can't shoot. He can defend multiple positions, which is nice, but uh, it'll be a, a weird fit as a backup point. Uh, but, like I said, the cap situation set up so well that in two years, if Trey, John Collins, Herder all break out, it looks like an appealing team to play with, like the Nets this year, and we'll have two max spots, so you never know. Yeah, the uh, the future does uh, does definitely seem, seem bright. I you know, if you if you're talking as far as Kevin Herter is concerned, I, I I see him especially if this team is again going to be competing for for championships down the line as more of a sixth man role, a, a real good shooter off the bench. I think they're going to need to find, you know, a Clay Thompson to Steph Curry. You know, a, they're going to have to find that guy that can defend the best guard on the opposition team because because Trey certainly that's his big weakness uh, on the defensive end. He doesn't have the size. Uh, to, to do that. So uh, I, I don't see Young and, and Herter being the, the starting backcourt for, for much longer, but certainly I think Herter is, uh, is a quality rotation piece. And I agree. I think uh, as good as John Collins is and as good as the, the offense is with him at the five, I, I just don't think he's, he's quite good enough defensively at that position in that rim protection role. Uh, so if they can find a, a center to match with him and play Collins more at the four, I think that will be good. And and you could you could use Collins in, in a similar way to how the Utah Jazz have, have used Derek Favors over the years and and start him at the four and maybe play him at, at some at the five as maybe the backup against second units. Yeah, I think that would be a good fit. It would be, I think he'd be nice coming against the second unit as a, as a center where he doesn't have to worry as much about Hopefully a great guy coming in there and just 
destroying the rim every single time, but just starting at the four. Uh, hopefully we'll have a better rim protector in Alex Lynn. I think uh, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, you mentioned Evan Turner is, is, is arguably going to be the backup point guard. It's, it's a little confusing to me that this, this roster really doesn't seem to have one. And, and Turner certainly has some ball handling skills. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, do you imagine that's more of a sign that, that Travis Schlenk and this organization maybe uh, wants, to, wants to still be in the lottery for one more year and, and get another crack in the draft to add to this core? And, and maybe that's why you, you, don't, uh, you don't get an NBA caliber backup point? Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. Um, but the Ringer's been putting out posts, like, are we sure the Hawks aren't a playoff team this year? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure as a Hawks supporter. There's <laughs> yeah. no way that uh, a team starting Alex Lynn backed up by Damian Jones and then Evan Turner coming off the backup point. I don't think we can make the playoffs. But we will be very entertaining. I think we'll win uh, mid to high 30-something games this year, which might be closer to the playoffs than uh, it should. Yeah. But, yeah, I can't, I can't see us making the playoffs. And I do think we want another crack at the lottery for a big or another guard that can come off the bench and defend well. I think that is definitely something that we're missing. Yeah, and I know a lot of people are very excited because, you know, at the post-All-Star break, I believe the Hawks' offense was 11th in the league in offensive rating. Uh, but over the course of the year, they were 23rd in offense and 27th in defense. So it would take a massive leap on both ends of the floor to uh, to see them even contending for the playoffs, yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of near you, maybe a little less optimistic. I see them more in the low 30s as far as wins, but um, that still I think would be a step in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. They the only way they can get to the high 30s is if Kevin Herter lives up to some of the I think unfair expectations that have been placed on him lately, and just becomes like a solid starter who's hitting the 40, 41% from three and defending maybe a little bit above average, but I, I think that's uh, asking a bit too much for a second-year guy that got drafted outside the lottery. Right, and again, yeah, this team is still so young. Your backcourt is both in the uh, second-year players. You've got a, a big in Collins that's only in his third year, as you stated, and, and then you're going to be playing two rookies on the wing, pretty heavy minutes, I would imagine, so... Yeah, just that youth and inexperience, I think, will hurt them at times. But hopefully, they'll they'll grow and improve as the year goes on. Uh, but uh, yeah, was there anything else uh, you wanted to talk about with Atlanta before we move on to, to discuss this year's World Cup? Um, maybe one. They're big. They're huge signing that they did, which is obviously a joke. We didn't really do too much. But what'd you think of uh, adding Jabari Parker? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's one of those moves that. Uh, you know, they, they had some cap space, so you, you, you have to use it most of the time, but it, it doesn't seem like there's there's a lot of upside in it because, you know, if he plays extremely well, uh, he'll just get potentially a, a bigger offer and leave this offseason. Um, so, you know, the, the other thing, too, is you, we talked about how playing Collins at the five I don't think is going to bode well for their defense. I mean, Collins at the five and Parker at the four and, and Young at the point. I mean, that that is a recipe for being 29th or 30th in the league in defense. <laughs> I think 29th is generous. <laughs> well, there's the Cavs, the Cavs to consider. Uh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, it was a bit weird making it, I believe it was a player option after the first year, for the second year. Um, I didn't, wasn't a fan of that, but just, yeah, I, I love taking a flyer on a 23-year-old guy that averaged 20 points per game at one point in his career on pretty good efficiency. I mean, if you're a team like the Hawks, why not, really? Yeah, well, and again, like I said, that player option basically, you know, makes it so that if he if he breaks out and has a great year, he's going to opt out, and if he plays poorly, he'll opt in, which, uh, you know, is a, is a lose-lose for the, the team signing that contract. Think, yeah, I think best-case scenario, he comes out and kills it the first three months, and we can get something at the deadline for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting thought. Although I think there's, uh, with, with a player option on the second year, I think that player would then, I think Jabari would have to agree to, to any sort of trade. Uh, yeah, could be right. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, a bit weird they got the player option, but overall, I do like the signing. Yeah, it. Uh, yeah, the the Hawks will certainly be one of my favorite teams to watch on League Pass. I uh, I love their organist at their games. They're uh, they, they've got a <laughs> they've got a few things here or there that are that are pretty fun. And uh, yeah, Trey Young is one of the most exciting players in the in the league. Basically, every game you're going to have a, a couple of uh, ooh and ah moments with his passes. Yeah, it, it'll be a great season. I'm definitely looking forward to it. And uh, who knows, maybe Cam Ranch will put up some nice highlight plays as well if we're lucky. Yeah. So uh, Ryan, we uh, we both watched uh, the 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 recent USA versus Australia warm up games or exhibition games leading into this uh, World Cup that's coming up here shortly. You actually got to to watch them live in Australia. Uh, and you know the the first game went uh, according to plan for the U.S. team, winning I believe 102 to 86. And uh, you know a lot of guys played pretty well. Pop played most of the most of the entire roster. Game two went with a uh, a different starting lineup, one that I would expect was more of a, an experimental lineup. Uh, and and the Australians, the Boomers, as the announcers called it on the uh, on the broadcast were able to pull off a 98-94 victory and, and shock the basketball world. Was the result uh, super surprising to you? Um, I would say it was super surprising, especially when I was looking at who he was playing. It seemed more like a, a tryout game for some of the guys for that last roster spot. And it was definitely not what I would have picked. But it wasn't too out of the realm of possibilities. America didn't look fantastic in the first game, even though they won by 20. There's not much ball movement. Um, Their backup guard play, well, actually in the first game, they didn't even play any backup guards until two minutes left in blowout, which was interesting. But the the guard play off the bench in in that second game was subpar. Well, I guess Marcus Smart started, but Marcus Smart and Derek White didn't quite look up to it yet. I know Marcus Smart's coming off an injury, which he looked a bit rusty. So it wasn't it wasn't too surprising, but it's definitely a disappointment. I think that's the U.S.'s first loss with NBA talent in 13 years or something. So yeah, totally it's, surprising. it's uh, yeah, to me I am a little bit concerned, but yeah, I, uh, just watching the, the game on TV, I could tell, especially in the, in the fourth quarter or for, fourth term, as the Aussies call it, uh, the uh, the uh, the crowd was really getting into it. I heard some chants of defense. What was it like being in the arena and uh, having a, a whole nation hoping for the upset? Yeah, so that was a unique basketball experience that I'm not sure I'll see again. I don't know how many people listening to this are familiar with an Australian rules football field, but basically 
It's the size probably of two soccer fields in a big oval. It's ginormous. And it fits 50,000 before they add seats onto it. So we just had a tiny little basketball court that was felt like a mile away. I'd use binoculars for a good part of it. Surrounded by a bunch of plastic chairs and then the, the stands filled up. So the, uh, the environment was crazy. The, the fans started going nuts once they had a little hope as opposed to the first game where they were dead the whole time. And uh, the last two minutes was was pretty unreal to hear the crowd realize that Patty Mills might just win on that game. Yeah, Patty Mills went absolutely in fuego down the stretch. And, uh, yeah, the, you know, the, the Australian team will talk about some, some contenders in this tournament outside of the, the favorites that are the, the United States. But, uh, yeah, the Australian team is a solid collection of, uh, you know, a, a lot of their roster is of NBA player, caliber players and, and a few guys from the Euro League and then also the, the NBL in Australia. I wanted to read off the, the United States finalized roster. The, the most recent news, we were, we were talking about this right before we started recording, that, that Kyle Kuzma, due to an ankle injury, ended up being the last cut on the United States roster. But uh, the, the finalized uh, team is Kemba Walker, Derek White, Marcus Smart, Joe Harris, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Middleton, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Harrison Barnes, Mason Plumley, Miles Turner, and Brooke Lopez. So Ryan, you know, just looking at that roster, obviously, you know, there there's been better, more talented USA rosters in the past. And the fact that, you know, you, you look at the, the best players on this team and you think maybe it's Kemba Walker, maybe it's Donovan Mitchell, uh, you know, the, the talent is, uh, you know, not nearly as strong as it's been in the past. No, it's not. I think that roster's got a major issue with it that wasn't necessarily their fault because of all the, obviously all those dropouts. Uh, there's not really a true four in that whole roster. I think Jalen Brown might actually be the best option who's been playing shooting guard lately. I, mean, I know fluid positions are the thing right now, but uh, they really struggled in that second game without Kuzma, defending Jock Lawndale and Nick Kay and their, the more traditional fours who had much better games than they did in the first game. Uh, yeah, I, they just need somebody to step up in that role, whether it's Brown or Tatum or even Harrison Barnes. It's going to be required if they want to take home the gold. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, you, that is uh, that is the biggest hole that I noticed as well. And and yeah, the, the issue is that you know in past runs of this USA team, the if they went small at the four and didn't play a traditional four, it'd be a guy like Carmelo Anthony or a guy like LeBron James, guys that absolutely would kill the opposition if they played a traditional big. Whereas this team, you know, as you mentioned, the guys that'll likely be there, your your Tatums and your Barnes and your Jalen Browns, those guys aren't roasting the opposition. And then, you know, the opponent team can, can win on the glass. They can win by uh, getting some, some easy looks on the post. And uh, that that position just isn't uh, as much of a mismatch as it was uh, for for the U.S. Yeah, in order for the U.S. to have success, they they just gonna need to run, use their athleticism. Um, Jalen Brown, great, incredible athlete in the U.S., but on the international scale, he's he's out of this world. Um, they're gonna have to really use a guy like that, take advantage of his athleticism, his defense, his verticality to just really mess up other teams offense otherwise uh that could be in for, for some trouble against some of the bigger teams 
Yeah, I think P.J. Tucker, you know, dropping out pretty late was was a big loss for this team because, you know, he is more of a guy that I think can play that traditional four, four role. He uh, can, can defend on the block. He's super strong and uh, also can step out and knock down threes. Uh, but but uh, how concerning is it not only, you know, for, for this year's team, but moving forward with Team USA that you have so many guys like your P.J. Tuckers, like your De'Aaron Foxes, that are opting to not play and instead focus on the NBA season? Yeah, obviously it's a little concerning. You wouldn't expect a guy that's uh, just like a solid NBA starter or like a really nice young player to want to be skipping out on this at this point in their careers, like P.J. Tucker and De'Aaron. Uh, so those were surprising, but overall, I don't think it's too worrisome for the future of USA basketball. Because how it usually works is they have the Basketball World Cup every four years, just like the Soccer World Cup, right? And this year, they, they used to always fall on the same year as the Soccer World Cup. So they, instead of making it four years, they moved it an extra year this year, so it's been five years since the last World Cup. And because of that, the Olympics is the next offseason. So if guys commit this year, They'll be playing two straight summers, no break. If they're in the playoffs, they get like a month to rest, which a lot of guys these days really value the rest, obviously, as they should, stay healthy. So I think it was more the FIBA's decision to make it so the World Cup falls directly the year before and make guys commit two whole summers in a row to playing with the national team has really put off a lot of the superstars that dropped out, like Harden and Anthony Davis. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I hadn't really thought considered that yeah that uh, that that would be a tough commitment to, to make but it, it certainly has made this a little bit of a tricky transition for uh, for Greg Popovich in uh, his his new assigned role as the head coach of the team and uh, you know again despite the fact that this is still very much the most talented roster uh, out of all the teams in this FIBA tournament you know the the huge gap that it used to be has has shrunk a little bit. And these other teams have the benefit of uh, a little bit more chemistry. Yeah, the gap has definitely shrunk, as we saw with uh, Australia beating the U.S. on their own floor. Um, there's going to be some teams that can really compete with the U.S. Have, there's even teams that have a better player than the U.S., which I don't think has happened since we've had NBA players. There's probably two teams that have a better top player than the U.S., which is pretty crazy to think about. But, yeah. The U.S. should only really be concerned if, if the Olympics, the guys aren't wanting to be there. That that would be a big red flag. There's no excuse for that when they'll have two years off after that, and actually maybe more. So if, if the guys are dropping out next year, then uh, we really need to reevaluate what we're doing with the program. Yeah, definitely. So uh, the I mentioned for, for both of the Australian uh, exhibition games, there was a different starting lineup in, in Game 1. It was uh, Kemba Walker starting at the point with Donovan Mitchell, Joe Harris, Jalen Brown, and uh, and Miles Turner. For Game 2, it was Marcus Smart, Mitchell, Chris Middleton, Harrison Barnes, and Turner. Uh, do, you, do you imagine that uh, that first game is going to be more the, the starting lineup they go with to open the tournament, or, or do you see someone else that maybe wasn't in the starting lineup for either game uh, sneaking in? I loved that starting lineup in the first game, really. I know Joe Harris is a bit of a weird pick for some people. He's always got that great floor spacing, though. And he looked pretty good driving to the rim and dishing it out. I was surprised, but better than I remember him being at that. 
Um, you could definitely argue for a guy like Tatum or Middleton replacing him, but with the versatility of the rest of the players, like Mitchell and Brown in that lineup and Miles Turner's ability to step out a bit, I think uh, Joe Harris just makes it there's just so much room to operate with with that starting unit. Yeah, and... Uh... The, the the big question for me is whether they should they should start Turner or Lopez. You know, Lopez obviously has a better pedigree as a as a three point shooter, but I've really liked what I've seen out of Turner. I think the shortened FIBA three point line helps him quite a bit. He's really good in that eighteen to twenty foot range and, and that makes that three point shot a little bit more of a, a comfortable range for him. Uh, but uh, yeah, that the the center position, frankly, seems to me to be the strength of this roster because Turner and Lopez are both guys that can that can score on the perimeter. They can score on the block if you need if they've got a mismatch, and they're both excellent rim protectors. Yeah, I, I totally agree. But it was interesting to me, and so far both games, Plumlee has actually played more than Lopez. I think Lopez only got about six minutes in this last game. Yeah, I hope that's not a trend. Yeah, it's been a bit strange. The first game, since they didn't even play a backup guard, they went heavy. They played all three bigs a good amount. That kind of felt like a game that was a tryout for the last roster spot before Kuzma went down. I think potentially it could have been coming down to Plumlee and Lopez. And I, for some reason, it seems like Pop is favoring Plumlee at the moment. Um, I do definitely think Lopez is the better player. The spacing, fantastic, great rim protector. That size is something we're going to need against some of the teams. There's a team that's got Boban and Jokic, which could uh, be an issue down the line. So I do think Lopez, hopefully... We play more, but I like Miles Turner's athleticism in that starting unit. Uh, next to Jalen Brown, that makes that could cause some chaos down low for the opponent if that's the front court. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see. I, I certainly hope Plumley doesn't get too many minutes because yeah, he's he's certainly a lesser player than than the two centers in front of him. But uh, yeah, I was curious to hear your thoughts. You know. I mentioned earlier the the FIBA three point line is a little bit a uh, little bit closer than the the NBA line, so that's a little bit of an adjustment for these uh, you know Team USA players. But which guys would you say stood out in terms of maybe the the line improving their game a little bit versus maybe it hurting them some? Yeah, so uh, it's hard to tell just based on two games, but Middleton's been struggling. I obviously don't think he's gotten worse. He's just probably hasn't adjusted to FIBA or 14-hour flight or whatever have you. And uh, I did really like, as I mentioned, Jalen Brown. Kuzma looked quite good, better than I remember him. His shot looked really nice in that first game. It's a shame he got sent home. Yeah, I I had that down in my notes as well. Yeah. um, Derek White, limited minutes, has struggled a bit. Hopefully he can play. He tripped himself up and Gave himself a good ding in the head on the floor at the end of the last game. Uh, hoping Marcus Smart starts looking better. He was taking some questionable shots. I believe it was him. I will have to uh, say that I was very far back in my seat, so I could be wrong that it was him. But it looked like Marcus Smart. The new numbers for everybody kind of threw me off. But he was taking some weird shots, and they did not look like they were close to going in. Yeah, the uh, the the three guys that I that I specifically wrote down as as looking much more comfortable with the with the FIBA line it was Miles Turner, Kuzma, 
And then uh, also Kemba Walker, you know, he, uh, yes. he he's very comfortable with the NBA three as well, but but that dribble in three, uh, he seemed very confident he was knocking those down and, and caused the Australian defense a lot of issues with that with that high pick and roll. Uh, a couple of players that I, I thought maybe looked a little bit worse was you mentioned Middleton. Uh, I don't think he's much better a, a couple of feet in than he is at the NBA line. And then also Brooke Lopez, you know, the fact that in Milwaukee he's so used to spacing out even to, to 25 to 28 feet and still shooting at a decent percentage, I don't think stepping into around 20 to 22 helps those percentages and you don't get that extra spacing from him being way out beyond the line. Yeah, I agree. There's not really a reason that they – can't even stand step out a few spots deeper than the, the FIBA three-point line if they're still comfortable with the NBA line. They're still going to add that spacing. The guys are still going to know the scouting report of an NBA player that you got to be out there. So I think it's a bit interesting that they haven't had him step back even a bit more. I know it's supposedly easier to shoot a closer shot, but not necessarily. You see plenty of guys that have a much higher three-point rate than they do mid-range. So I, I think it'd be smart for him to step back to where he's comfortable with. And uh, I will say that the the ball they use, the molten basketball, does take a bit to get used to. Every time I picked it up when I moved over here for about a month, I, it just didn't feel right. So there, there are a few things they got to adjust to, but I think once they get out of that first round, hopefully Lopez and Middleton will, will find their shots. Yeah, the the, the ball changes uh, is an interesting observation, and, and obviously it looks different as well. I, I find it very pleasurable to, to watch that, that ball spin as well. That is fun. Uh, but uh, yeah, the 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 whole idea of the what you said in terms of just because the line is shorter doesn't mean you have to stand right on the line. Uh, it, it, I I do think it would help the the U.S. team if if a couple of guys stepped out a little bit further and spaced the floor just that much more. Uh, but but you could look at a guy like Greg Popovich who has a history of. Uh, of, uh, of being more in favor of the mid-range game and his teams consistently shoot the, the fewest amount of threes in the NBA maybe being a part of, of why they, they aren't doing that. Uh, but uh, I also found it uh, fascinating that the, the announcers, uh, again, the, the Australian announcers uh, during the broadcast were, were, were talking about the analytics and, and the, the fact that mid-range shots were looked at as, as inefficient bad shots and and uh, I think it's even more the case with the FIBA three-point line because, again, the, the percentages are going to be that much closer between the FIBA three line and, and you know, a 16- to 18-foot shot. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, it was interesting, though. There was definitely a lot more mid-ranges than I'm used to. But especially in the first game, Australia was just sagging off every single pick-and-roll, so... U.S. and Donovan Mitchell, Kemba Walker got every single mid-range they wanted. That didn't really continue as much in the second game, and the U.S., as you saw, struggled more, which is uh, a bit concerning on that front. But, uh, yeah, overall, that closer line, it, it really should help the guys. And Kemba Walker can just do whatever he wants behind that line and do a couple step backs and feel really comfortable from that FIBA line. So that would be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, the, the, the big difference in, in Australia's defense in that second game that I noticed was they used some more complex strategies in terms of, you know, they, they blitzed the United States pick and roll a little bit more. Uh, on offense, I saw a few double high ball screens that, that, that caused the, the United States defense some confusion. And, and that's something I think when, when the games really matter, you'll start to see a little bit more of because 
it's those complicated coverages and, and the communication that's required to, to defend those and execute those plays uh, that maybe USA is a little bit short of compared to these teams where the players have, have played together for a long time. Yeah, definitely. And on defense, I did seem to get confused by some of the more complex sets that Australia ran in that second game. Australia wasn't really doing too much, it seemed, in the first game. That would really surprise the U.S. But in the second game, Andrew Bogut was picking them apart, which it was pretty entertaining to watch, frankly. But it's definitely concerning in a tournament that has Jokic, that uh, Bogut's tearing us apart. He is a great passer, but Jokic will be on another level. Yeah, uh, it's funny you mentioned those two because uh, one of the announcers said uh, uh, in regards to Andrew Bogan, I'm not sure there's a better big man in the world that plays off the elbow and can find people with the pass. And my initial uh, thought was, well, you know, there's Nikola Jokic who's going to be in this World <laughs> Cup is out there in the world yeah, as a big man. the Aussies their chance to, to show how great their players, right? Right, but yeah, Bogut certainly was was fantastic, especially in that second game. I believe at one point he was 7 of 8 from the field hitting a bunch of those those lefty jump hooks, which he has to resort to now after that gruesome elbow injury he suffered early in his career. Uh, but, uh, yeah, what, what are your thoughts in general about this Australian team? You know, they, again, they, they've got some, they've got some uh, NBA-caliber players in, in Patty Mills and Matthew Della Vadova and, uh, and the aforementioned Andrew Bogut, Aaron Baines, Joe Ingles. And uh, a couple of guys, and Chris Golding, who who can really shoot the basketball, and and Jock Lawndale, who uh, is is a decent big man that plays in the Euro League. Yeah, well, Chris Golding, I, I love. He plays here locally. He thinks he's James Harden. He's quite entertained to watch. But <laughs> over <laughs> overall, Australia, they'll be solid. I'd have them, even though they beat the U.S. I'd still only have them in the the second tier. Probably they'll be fighting hard for medal. I'm not sure they'll get it. Um, their guard play needs to really show up for them to have a chance. Delhi, they've had four warm-up games. They had two against Canada before this that I saw. And uh, Delhi, Delhi's been struggling for the most part. He's not quite looking the same on defense. He's trying to change his jumper a bit, so it's uh, a bit less hard to look at, but it's not falling quite as well. Ingles, he actually looked pretty good yesterday. Uh, the first three games before that, he was kind of a no-show scoring all his threes seem to be a bit short. Uh, they're going to really need those guys. They, they don't have too much depth. A lot of the NBL guys, there's a reason they're in the NBL. They have about five of those guys. So unless their starters can just really, really just kill it offensively and step up defensively, they're, they're going to have a hard time getting a medal with the really stacked rest of the world this year. It's actually uh, very impressive what the U.S. is going to have to compete against for gold. How, how disappointed were you that, that Ben Simmons isn't isn't playing for this Australian team, you know, especially considering, as we mentioned, they, they've got some NBA-caliber guys, and, and for the most part, a lot of the current core of this Australian national team is uh, is getting up there in age and, and won't be good for much longer. Yeah, it's extremely disappointing that Ben Simmons isn't playing. They would... Uh a medal favorite for sure if he was playing it was a weird situation he came out and he committed to playing in the World Cup with a video online and then he uh, pulled out completely and then he released a letter saying he's going to play in the two games in Melbourne versus the USA and then he pulled out of that as well it was uh, a weird situation it was very disappointed he's upset a lot of fans here uh, rightfully so bought really expensive tickets to see him play against the USA 
Um, he's a guy that they're going to need desperately in the Olympics next year if they're going to have any shot at it. As you said, most of the core guys, Delhi, Mills, Ingles, Bogut, they're all in their 30s, I believe. Uh, so they only got a couple years ago. They have another a couple promising guys. They have Josh Green, who's supposedly the top 10 pick in the next draft that could maybe be there next year. We'll see, but overall they they desperately are going to need Simmons to have a chance to compete next year. Well, yeah, and, and Simmons seems to be uh, you know using his time wisely by taking a bunch of three-point shots in practice that he won't take in the actual <laughs> games. Um, but, uh, let's, uh, let's move on to uh, talk about some of these other teams that uh, you might consider as, uh, as contenders to, to get a medal in this upcoming tournament. Uh, you know, outside of obviously the the United States team, who are, who are some of your favorites? Yeah, I want to clarify that. I still think the U.S. is the team to beat. I don't think anyone will be able to keep up with their athleticism and defense. It gives them a huge advantage in international ball. But besides the U.S., the number one favorite by everybody is Serbia. They have a stacked team. They have Jokic, obviously, will be extremely difficult for us to guard. Then Boban, his size will uh, be a real challenge. And they also have Bogdan Bogdanovich playing, and uh, I forget which point guard, but not Tito since he got hurt. They have another one that can just really carve us up. So they'll be they'll be tough to beat, probably the favorite outside of the U.S. And Nemanja Bialica um, as well at the four. Ah, uh, yes. Bialica will give us a hard time on the stretch four, especially after we just struggled against Jock Lawndale and Nick Kay, which I don't think many people listening will have any idea who that is. The elites that will be uh, a handful. Um, outside of them, I would say France will be very good. They got Rudy Gobert. Um, they have Nicholas Batum, uh, Evan Fournier, and, and Nanda DiColo. And they've got some nice young players off the bench at the guard position Frank Nilakina and Elliot Kobo who could do some damage to us if they get hot. They're very inconsistent, but you never know with those guys. They have uh, probably the deepest team in the World Cup outside the U.S., I would say. And Rudy Gobert will make it a nightmare going inside, as he always does. Um, and Greece, Greece, obviously, with Giannis. Giannis could single-handedly knock off the U.S. And he's got one of his brothers. Kostas was cut, but he's still got Giannis. I could be pronouncing that wrong. And they have uh, former Grizzlies point guard Nick Kalathis, who could be the best passer in this tournament. And uh, Kings legend Papa Giannis, or however you say it, <laughs> pick 12th overall, will be stepping out on the floor for them. So they, they are all big threats. That's who I'd say, like the top tier teams in the World Cup. There's definitely some like tier two teams like Spain, Australia, and, uh, maybe even Germany that could maybe pose a threat. Yeah, so um, I, I listed six teams uh, that, that I wanted to talk to you about, and you covered five of them. And, yeah, I, I had a, a big question mark over Greece and that, yeah, do, that uh, can Giannis basically carry that team? But you mentioned they've got a couple other pieces that are, uh, you know, at least uh, capable players out there, but it certainly will be a, a, a one-man band for the most part. And yeah, Spain yes. with uh, Ricky Rubio, Rudy Fernandez, Marcus Gasol, and and uh, the the Hernan Gomez brothers, Wancho and Willie. That you know they'll be they'll be solid. Although I think their uh, their peak, the the Spanish basketball peak, has uh, has passed us by. But another team that that I thought uh, 
you know, maybe they, they lack the wings and the guard play, but at least inside Lithuania with uh, Jonas Valanciunas and uh, DeMontis Sabonis will, will pose a threat. Yeah, they'll be a very solid team. I can't remember, like you said, the wings. They're in what they call the group of death this year with Australia and Canada. So it's going to be a very competitive group to see who the top two teams to get out of there are. They, if they get out... Um, the U.S. has difficulties with them as well. Valanciunas, great in the post. Sabonis can do a little bit of everything. Great passer, great scorer, rebounder. So that'll be fun to watch. And Canada even, you never know. They Canada handled Australia last week here. Uh, they only have one NBA player, Kim Birch. The rest of the team has been out injured. But the Kevin Pangos and Kyle Wiltzer, both Gonzaga boys, I believe, were uh, destroying all these NBA players for Australia last week. So that'll be a fun team to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, that was that was one thing I, I saw on Twitter, the idea that, well, yeah, the obviously there's a lot of excitement for the Australian team because they just beat the USA. But, but yeah, getting pummeled by Canada a week ago doesn't doesn't bode well for their chances either. Uh, but uh, the United States are, uh, are in Group E, and uh, they're... Uh, they're in a group with the Czech Republic, Japan, and Turkey. Uh, gotta believe this is going to be a cakewalk for uh, for the Americans. But uh, out of that group, which team would you imagine is the biggest threat? Yeah, they should definitely win every game. But Turkey, Turkey is solid. They have Ersan Ilyasova, Volkan Koymat, Seti Osman. So they'll be pretty solid. I think I'm missing somebody else as well. That's pretty good. They should be the favorites to come out of there. But the other games will be still fun to watch. Uh, Czech Republic isn't too bad. I think they're like 20th in the world or something. They got Thomas Sadoransky. Um That's about it that I had heard of. But they're supposedly pretty good in Japan. Not very good, but fun to watch. They got Rory Hachimura. They just got drafted by the, by the Wizards this right. year. And uh, they got, uh, I forget to say, the UT, the guy in the Grizzlies, end of, his, end of the bench there, UT want to be something like that. Uh, they're actually looking pretty pretty good in the summer league this year, so hopefully he keeps improving. All right. Well, yeah. So uh, I believe we're both predicting, yeah, that the the USA will will sweep their group. But then uh, let's let's do some predictions now, Ryan. I'm curious to hear your sure. thoughts on uh, what team's gonna kind of finish with uh, with gold and then silver and bronze. Yeah. So I probably have a bit of a standard look on it, but I have US gold. Serbia, bronze. I think uh, yeah, Jokic will be too much. And silver's silver's the toughest between France and Greece. Um, I just think Giannis Giannis is gonna be playing out his mind. I think he really wants this with playing with his brother. And for Greece, I think uh, I think it's hard to pick against them to to lose earlier than the medal rounds. So I think I'll go with Greece. But I, I do want to throw out there it is. Just like how FIBA probably messed up by moving the tournament, they also messed up by moving the qualifying games. They made them all during the NBA season. So a team that finished silver in the last Olympics, Slovenia, who has Luka Doncic, Goran Dragic, and all that, they didn't even qualify because all the guys were playing over in the States. So that's pretty disappointing. But, yeah, I'd have to go U.S., Serbia, and Greece. Yeah, that's unfortunate because, again, like the, you know, I think the NBA has done a, a pretty good job of, of, of building the worldwide audience for the sport of basketball and and uh, you would hope that FIBA would do the same but yeah having one of the better countries in the world at the sport not be in this because of something as silly as oh well 
you guys aren't uh, qualified because you've got players in the NBA is 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 very unfortunate. Uh, my prediction: I'm going to go with. Uh, the USA winning gold. I've got Serbia finishing in silver, and uh, you're you're starting to convince me about Greece, but I, I'm going to go with France going uh, going bronze. Um, I, I certainly think uh, Giannis is going to carry Greece close to to meddling, but to maybe not getting them quite far enough. And and you know, I, I honestly, you know, I, I've seen some some matchups over the previous uh, couple of uh, of tournaments with with Serbia versus the USA, and it wouldn't shock me if Serbia goes all the way in this tournament and defeats the Americans. Yeah, I wouldn't be too surprising. We're going to have, I think it'll be a very close game. Uh, luckily for us, as long as we win our, our first group, we shouldn't have to face them until uh, the gold medal game. So that'll, that'll be fun to watch. But I could definitely see them doing it. The only reason I'm in favor of the U.S. is, like I said, the, the defense. I think our defense will be on another level than any other team in the tournament, which should set us apart. If uh, we had a hot game, then uh, that should put them down. Out of uh, out of everything that I want to see in this tournament, I want to see Jokic and Boban playing on the floor at the same time. That uh, if if that <laughs> happens, I'll be happy. That that would be amazing to watch, and maybe if we're lucky, we get in that lineup point Jokic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, Ryan, was there anything else about the, the World Cup that you wanted to discuss before we uh, we finish this? Uh, that's, that's about it. I will say if, if uh, anyone's watching and they're bored, a fun team to watch will be probably Germany with Schroeder, Maxi Kleba, Daniel Tice, and then they have a the couple of young guys at the Lakers just traded off the bench and uh, Isaac Bogner and Bonga and uh, Mo Wagner. So I just keep an eye out for them. It'll be a fun watch, but that's, that's all i got to say about the World Cup, really. All right, Ryan. Well, this was this was a heck of a lot of fun, and, and hopefully I'll have you on again here in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me, Garrett. It was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can uh, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. If you can leave a, uh, a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the show is also now on Spotify. Uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow, again, a rating on there, uh, that, uh, that really helps a lot. If, uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or, uh, or ideas for, uh, for future episodes, uh, you can contact me uh, on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g-bouguet at onu.edu. So uh, feel free to, uh, to uh, give me any of your ideas. I, I love to hear from, uh, from the people listening to the program, and uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar, and uh, have a great rest of your day. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for.
Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas. Visit cox.com slash internet for details.